Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Sometimes great opportunities are not conventional. Don't let anyone take you down. Give yourself credit. Have burn resilience and go after what you're looking for. The message that I would like to convey is your otherness is what makes you unique and special. It's going to make you for a better engineer. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This episode features a session from ELC Annual 2022, our annual conference for engineering leaders about overcoming fears, accepting risks, making bolder moves, and the incredible journeys behind three women engineering leaders. Joining us, we have Annie Chang, VP of Engineering at Waymo, Claire Huff, CTO at Carbon Health, Lisa Golobter, CEO and founder at Techwitable, moderated by Arzu Riahi, head of equity, inclusion, and diversity at Waymo. And in their conversation, they discuss their career moves, strategies for combating disrespect in the workplace, finding work-life balance, overcoming imposter syndrome, and more. Enjoy this session with Annie Chang, Claire Huff, Lisa Golobter, and Arzu Riahi. Good morning. I have never moderated a panel where I can see the bay as we are talking. So I think plus one for the ELC location. All right. Well, I hope you are excited as I am to listen and hear from three incredible women about their journeys. And I think we all know it is not easy to get where these women have gotten. And I think a lot of people sometimes think there's a path. It's you know, it's clear you follow, you follow it. It's not like that. And so we are, I'm going to tee up a few questions so we can understand what are the challenges? When did you have to take risks? What does it mean to be bold? And we'll hear the stories and the journeys from each of these women. We're going to save some time for questions. So you're not just going to hear from the, the questions I teed up. So keep thinking about it. We'll save some time at the end to make sure that anything you have you have a chance to ask. So let's start with Claire. So what I'd like to do is give an opportunity for each of our panelists to introduce themselves a bit more. So Claire, you have worked in a wide variety of technical roles throughout your career. What inspired you to jump to a brand new industry at Carbon Health? I've been around the block a few times. So Carbon Health is my 10th startup. So talking about taking risks and going from one startup to another, it says either I'm a job hopper or I'm old. And uh, it may be both a little bit. So, you know, somebody would say, oh, Claire, when you find, a, find something that you love, then you stay a while. If you think it's not meeting your standards or your needs, then you jump. And that's kind of true because I, you know, I want to be where I can do my best work. 
And sometimes you don't make the right moves, right? And then I think it's better to say, okay, this was a mistake and I need to go to the next one. So Carbon Health is a, you know, a healthcare technology company. And it's a company that's actually known as a company that responded to COVID crisis. And I was at an event ticketing company right before that. And when COVID hit, guess what happened? So we had to cancel all our events, all you know, refund all our tickets and all that. And when uh, Aaron Bali, the founder of Carbon Health called, and he's the founder of Udemy where I was for uh, five years. So he said, can you come and help me out? And I said, yeah, it sounds like something I could do. I could, you know, help out during COVID crisis. So within like uh, 10 days of me joining the company, we signed up to vaccinate city of LA and we vaccinated 1.5 million people in the LA area. And uh, the Carbon Health grew quite a bit. And like at 30 clinics in the, when I joined and we now have 160 clinics. Um, so, you know, I felt like I was doing something worthwhile with my time and I can contribute and help with the crisis. Thank you, Claire. Annie, I'm going to turn it over to you. So you spent years in the consumer internet and advertising space and you had a successful career. Now you're in the autonomous vehicle and transportation industry that feels very different. So what was the transition like? Was it challenging? And what are the similarities and differences? So if I were to count Waymo on my LinkedIn, I think it's also nice company. <laughs> so it seems like there are some similarities. Waymo is a very collaborative company. And I think the reason being we're solving something that's uh, very challenging and haven't been solved before. Uh, in order to solve them, we need very diverse set of people from different walk of life and different experiences and background. I also think like many people come to Waymo with mission in mind, and our mission is to make it safe and easy for people and things to get to where they're going. For many people in Waymo, like it's more than a job. I think this both makes uh, having a collaborative environment, having mission in mind, makes the transition very much easier for me because then and I also feel very fulfilled every day. So what's similar, I came from, I spent many, many years, I think 14 years in web search and search advertising. And what's similar is that I continue to be in a leadership and management position in Waymo where the leadership and uh, management principle can be carried over. And my principle is being best out of people and make it easy for people to do work. Uh, so what's different then is how do I apply that principle into the Waymo context? And in that sense, uh, what I did first is to trying to understand the Waymo technology. And it sounds like super excited, but super complex as well. And we have a lot of great technical leaders that help me to understand high level how things are working. Then with that, my role is to design the organization and build the organization and process to enable the technology to progress. And then with that, achieve uh, acceleration to our mission. So if I were to sort of refer back to, well, like, you know, from a web search and search advertising perspective, what's in common with autonomous vehicle? And, and it is uh, big data and solving the long tail problem. And it's the same in autonomous vehicle uh, space that we're solving problems that requires big data and long tail problem. And for many people, as I say, that people come to the company with very diverse background, what we do for the transition is to make sure everybody have a starter project 
where they can anchor their experience on and so that they can all contribute and then along the way continue to build their knowledge and continue to contribute to the mission together. So that's my journey with Waymo and the transition has been smooth for me. Awesome. All right, Lisa, I'm going to turn it over to you. So you transitioned from the Obama White House and now you're, you founded and you're running your own company. What did you see in the professional world that inspired you to start Techwitable? That's a great question. So, yeah, I mean, I think my journey to Techwitable was also different. Y'all made me count how many jobs I had. I, I got to 13 and I'm like, I know I've forgotten some. You know, it's, it's what it is when you're in tech. I was like, what? That's on you? One of the things I want to talk about, right? So Black woman, degree in computer science, which unfortunately makes me somewhat of a unicorn, which makes me cry pretty much every day. But above and beyond that, we've gotten more used to talking about differences of gender and race in tech, but we don't talk much, as much about socioeconomic differences. So I grew up as a low-income, I come from a low-income background. I did, I do have a bachelor's in computer science, but it took me 24 years to get it. Uh, so it turns out when you are working and uh, paying uh, your way through school, working full-time, it's hard. It takes a little while. And so... For me, the journey of, right, I've been fortunate enough to work on pretty transformative technologies. I, I was a software engineer on Shockwave, the thing that introduced animation, multimedia interactivity to the web in the 90s, kind of made the move. I helped launch Hulu. I ran digital at BET, the television network. And then I went to work at the White House under President Obama, where I was the chief digital service officer for the U.S. Department of Education. And for me, the idea that we could make systemic level change, that we could make societal level change, right? A project I worked on was called College Scorecard, which has been credited with improving college graduation rates by a point and a half in the U.S. And like, that's the dream, right? Yes, that's, that's the like, I am so proud of the work that, I mean, obviously it was not just me, but that we as a whole did there. And so as I was leaving the administration, right, trying to decide what I wanted to be, because it's a journey, right? What I want to be when I grow up. I was like, look, this is actually not rocket science. If we can send a Tesla Roadster into outer space, right, and create space debris, we can use the same best practices, product development strategies, innovative approaches right here on our home planet to solve some of the issues for the underserved, the underrepresented, and the underestimated. And so Techwitable is, I founded and CEO of Techwitable. We're using technology to make workplaces more equitable. And this goes back to trying to figure out how to make systemic change within, right, for folks for trying to continue to do things that matter. Not that, again, Hulu Shockwave all made an impact, but being able to do it for things that I'm really, really invested in. So that's how I got here. Love it. And I'm, now I'm feeling like we need to talk after this panel too. Okay, so I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling, but I just feel like I'm uh, so appreciative of you all being here. And I honestly, I'm so uh, inspired by your journeys and all that you have had to overcome to get to where you are. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. Annie and Claire, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you both. What's the first time you remember feeling like you were taking a big risk, you know, going out on a limb professionally and, and what came of it? So to me, it was the experience uh, where I was transitioned from web search to search advertising. So I was following a manager who I worked with by then. It's the third time working with him. 
And when I go to him and say, I'm interested to work in advertising department. And he's like, well, I don't have a role for you, but then I think I will. So why don't you just come in and sit on the bench? Uh, and in fact, then I was a manager managing a small team. So I was like trusting my manager. So I did. I think what come out of that is that I sit on the bench for nine months. Uh, and then he says, you know, just help out when you can. So at the time, the company was going through a major uh, transformation on the tech stack. So it was a new stack. It's serving ads. So billions of a dollar of uh, ads flowing through that serving stack. And uh, what happened is when the serving stack is new, uh, there's a lot of issues. So I became uh, the role that I sort of took in the, on the bench for nine months is the what they call, they have a title, it's P0, P1, POC. Meaning that whenever there's a site up issue and the SRE cannot resize, this is the person you talk to. And then what does that mean? It means like billions of dollars if there's a site up issue, like it leaks, like the money leaks every minute and you don't know why. And the team is global. It could be India, China, Taiwan, US, any states, any time zone. And you were on call 24 seven for nine months. Uh, so I didn't know, I also didn't know it was nine months. I thought it was just keep on going until I have something that show up. Uh, so people told me that's like the worst job in entire search advertising org that you got. And so that to me, like I was like taking it, but then I was thinking, oh, that sounds risky. But then now <laughs> looking back, I, I think what's hard about that job is it's 24 seven on call. I remember there was like a really great dinner I have with my husband on Saturday, like in Carmel, very romantic dinner. I was like, the call comes and then the money's leaking. And then I was like sit, standing outside, like trying to, at the restaurant, trying to debug this, like trying to call people. And then my husband, poor husband was like there for two hours by himself until I get to a better place. So that's hard, like 24 seven on core piece. Another thing that's hard is like, you don't know what's going on. Like we don't know what's, who caused this and which team on which like town that caused this. So it's just like every minute trying to figure that out. And third thing is that uh, uh, what's hard is it's a daily update to senior VP and VP as I was just, my prior experience was a manager of a two, three people team. And so to me, uh, it was like really scary to have to report back. And then especially when I don't have answer every day, there's no answer. That's like every minute is leaking major money for a public company that has ads. Uh, when I think back though, uh, what I learned, number one is that Building a software is not just building a software. It has to be maintainable and then we cannot fly blind. So I think that really embedded in my head moving forward as a good software manager that knowing, okay, it's not just building the core, but everything else, the tooling, the monitoring, the, you know, everything else around it is important to build as we, before we ship it to the customer. Number two is that I learned how to be calm in storms and bring peace to people around me when they are lost and scared. And if I were to think back, people may say, hey, I got a really, really bad, you know, worst job in the entire three, 400 people org. And now I think back, I think it really didn't help me for my next move, really, like back then, right? But it really built really solid foundation for me for the future leadership. To me, that was like what came out of a, what can be seen as a risky move. I love that. I, I think oftentimes we don't, we underestimate the experience. We don't understand how it's going to benefit us at some point. And, and years later, boom, you realize that was the benefit. Claire, how about you? A big risk you took? So in 2004, coming out of dot-com crash, you know, a lot of companies were struggling, right? And you know, I really wanted to work for a company that had more solid business model because so many companies without that 
you know, really great business model were funded and they collapsed. And I was at one of those companies. So I thought like, I would like to learn how to build a company with strong business fundamentals. So I interviewed with this company called Nextag. It was a product search engine. So product comparison search engine. So I gave you a compare. It was a marketing company, essentially. I mean, it's a bit like Amazon kind of took that over after whatever, 15 years. And uh, they kind of modeled after this product search engine. They list all the, ven- all the vendors who are selling the product. And so it's a price comparison first, but it had like ratings of a seller as well. So sellers would sign up to be listed with us and we would advertise through product search or the search engine to drive traffic through it. So this company had a robust business model. So this CEO who was very, very, very intense interviewed me. And then I noticed that they already had a VP of engineering. And I said, "Uh, why do you need a second VP of engineering? And he said, our business is growing so fast. I want a second VP of engineering. And I said, okay. And then he gave me a homework question. He said, if I were to ask you to do catalog and search, be in charge of that, what would you do? So, you know, I go, actually, you know, in those days, giving a homework question wasn't that, wasn't that common with the executives, especially. And I decided, okay, I'll do it because I, maybe I'll learn something from it. So I did a, like, I, I kind of looked at different product search engines and also Google and Yahoo or GoTo at the time or GoTo go that became Yahoo. And, you know, I did a bunch of like test runs on what the quality of the catalogs were and what the search quality was. I came up with 10 things that they could do to improve their catalog quality and search quality. And I sent it to him on a weekend. And he immediately came back and said, Harry, this is great. Can you come and run my product management organization? And I'm like, oh, I interviewed for a head of engineering and that's what I've been doing. I work closely with product management, but I've never done it 100% time. And he said, no, you could do this. I want somebody with technical background to run product management. So he offered me VP of product management position. And I thought about, should I do this? Because I'm really committed to engineering. I don't want one more woman getting out of engineering. So I thought about it. So, but I said, okay, I'll do it. Uh, I'll at least like learn the business model. So I joined the company. So within two months of me joining, he reorganized half of engineering under me, people who are in charge of, you know, people who are working on catalog and search. And then uh, another year later, I took over the whole thing. So, you know, I took a risk, right? Doing a neat job that I had not done before and whether I was going to be successful at it. But purely my, my motivation was I want to learn and see whether I can be successful at it. And it was a huge learning experience for me to have done that job. Oh, I love that. Okay, Lisa. Oh, yeah, of course. I just want to build on some of the things that they said, because I feel like there were some really, really interesting takeaways that I think I've experienced in my life as well. So, I mean, I think the first lesson for me from what you said, and this is what we do, right? We just continue to learn from each other, which is almost, you know, it's about the boss. It's not about the job. Uh, and figuring out what, how you want to bring that into your, right, into your sphere in your life. And it is, like, it makes a huge difference. Something else you said just kind of in passing, which is, 
oh, I don't want to be another woman who leaves engineering because we all get sh- like track, whatever the word is, put in that track, track, that was the word, uh, into, into product management or, or something else or, or people management. But you don't got to be a people manager. You can just continue to be a senior technologist. And that just, there's all these, these factors that kind of go into how we build our careers and our, and our structures that it is, uh, like we're still faced with it. And so just being able to like name it and confront it and recognize it and put words to it, I think is important. You know, Keep, keep the mic, Lisa. I have, I have a follow-up for you. Keeping the mic. And let, me, so, let, me, let me just yeah. add one, because I think Claire, both of you said that. I, I do think one thing to point out is that we sometimes in this journey, we build foundation for our future. And then I, I, I feel like a lot of um, people I interact with really are calculating of, oh, what did I get out of this, this job? But then I think sometimes we don't know. And then I think, and that sometimes that's okay too, as long as you continue to learn. I love that. Okay, so sometimes being bold is not within our personality or it can be seen particularly for women as not being, you know, typical with the gender. I have myself in moments where I've taken the biggest risks and I've been bold, I've been called aggressive. I've been, you know, if I take credit for something I've done, I maybe get a look like, well, she's a little arrogant. I've been called worse names, which I won't bring to the stage. Lisa, what do you do? Like, how do we handle that? Any advice? Okay, first of all, I'm sorry that that happened to you and it's happened to probably all of us. It should not happen to us. I just, right, I think so much, so much of it is we take it for granted that that's just what our life experience is going to be. But I, I like that idea of being like, actually, that's not right. You shouldn't be treated that way. You shouldn't be disrespected that way. You should, in fact, be celebrated, lifted up. The idea of how we got to be on this panel, it is each of us lifting each other up. And so finding community, finding people who believe in you. So anyway, that's, I just, I think that's so many of our stories and not okay. So I just wanted to actually say that. So look, I think it's tough. I think for me, at least, I can't necessarily speak to everybody. For me, the challenge was figuring out how to speak the language of business. That actually is the thing that kind of turned around. So even as an engineer, I had to be able to say how something was going to impact the business, the customer, the whatever, not just because, well, because it's the right thing to do, or I think it'd be cool to do it this way, which is some of what I did. Um, But also the like, here is why we should do this over that. Here is why. So so for me, figuring out how to be able to, to step forward into like being listened to was learning how to communicate in a way that other people would hear me, what other people would receive me. But also I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you to move your agenda ahead, to move the customer's agenda ahead, whatever that might look like. And so for me, that was the biggest lesson that I had to learn. And I, for the record, I did not learn that until I was at BET and Viacom. So that was 20 years, um, just FYI. Uh, and I learned it it was brutal. I learned, I learned hard lessons there, but I came out the other side as a fantastic business guy. But, but that idea of like trying to figure out, so that's what I would say as, as like the key, the number one thing is do it, but also think about how you say it so that people can receive it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. 
These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. I want to shift a little bit into some words of wisdom and see, ask questions that are not necessarily about being bold or taking risks, but just about how we as women in particular don't get stuck as we're following our ambitions and trying to move up the ladder, so to speak. So Claire, let me ask, let me start with you here. Women, of course, are often caregivers. How do you find that balance between your personal and professional life? We all have personal lives. So let's not kid ourselves like I'm a career person that's really important and all that. And I think we have to embrace that, you know, career is important, but our family life or our personal life is just as important, right? So you have to figure out how to balance and it's not always 50-50 or, you know, I think there will be times in your life when you prioritize career because you're at a company where it's very intense, but there will be at times when your children need you and, you know, your spouse needs you, your parents need you, and you have to give yourself that time and energy for them, right? And I think I've been very lucky to have that support system built around me. Number one, my husband. So many of you, some people know that I have a child with special needs. He's in the autism spectrum, so a lot of challenges with communication and all. And my husband really takes more than half of like caregiving and being a father. And, you know, we'll be married 30 years next year. I want to say for everyone, whether you're a man or woman, choose your partner well. And, you know, if you feel like you made a mistake, try to correct it through therapy or whatnot. And if that doesn't work, you have a better partner elsewhere. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not being like flipping here, but it's the same thing with your careers or your personal life. Life is short. So don't, don't undersell your value in, you know, having this life where you want to have a career that you enjoy and that you love, but you also want to maintain that personal life and, you know, have a family life as well. So that's my two cents. Thanks. I want to build on that. And, and she actually said this when we were walking over here, too. So no children, no spouse. Uh, turns out you should still take time for yourself. And, and she actually said that. She just didn't get to it here. But it is like it is it doesn't it's not about other people. Also, it's also about you. I just sorry. I wanted to remember to say that. It's so important these days. I feel like it's hard to get a moment alone. And so we hear a lot about self-care, but actually creating the space to do that, to make sure that you can show up for yourself and all the people that count on you is so critical. So if you're all, if it's, if it's in the back of your mind, consider this one of those reminders to go do something for yourself right away. Annie, I want to turn it to you. Can you talk about a moment of struggle outside of the professional life and the impact that it had on your career, how you pushed through it? Yeah. So, um, Similar to taking time for yourself, I was a VP of Eng for a small startup, but there at some point I had to, for my personal life, I actually had to, I couldn't work for six months. And so it's a small startup. And then I told the, the team is like, hey, you know, my, man, my, my manager who's the CEO and founder said, 
hey, you should just stay. We'll wait for you. I was thinking you're a small startup. You cannot wait for me. You need a VP of engineering. So I, uh, I did find sort of a replacement for the company. I took the time making sure the company's okay. And I just, I left for six months. And then so for many people may think, wow, like six months of break, or that's brave. Like how, how are you like going to get back to it? Are you going to get back to it? Again, dropping out of, woman dropping out of a career. But I found this time uh, really precious now thinking back that I'm glad I did and didn't struggle like trying to handle both. And in the six months, what I did is other than address like some of the issue that I need to address that cost me couldn't work for six months, I spent time for myself, meaning that I actually went travel when I can. I spent time specifically learning the technology as VP of Eng prior was so busy, couldn't learn. I can speak the language, but actually don't know the stuff. You will believe I know the stuff, but I don't know the stuff. And then I just feel bad because I had a CS, a CS degree from good school too. So I was like, I'm an engineer, I can learn this. And then I learned from like, this is about learning about deep learning. Uh, you know, search and ads is all about deep learning and machine learning. And I can speak the lingo, but I don't know. So I actually went back and learned from calculus. So from like, yeah, this uh, uh, metric multiplication, and this is over my 40. I learned it. I read three hours, three hours every night, uh, read papers, and I really learned it solid. And then I would say like, back then I didn't know, I just wanted to learn. And then I would say that that helps me do really well in the Waymo interview. But I didn't know. I didn't know. I was just like myself. I really want to have self-respect as an engineer that I also know the stuff and not just speaking the lingo like managers. So, um, so I found that that period of time is precious. And self-care is super important and like give me time to sort of reboot and being refreshed when I join Waymo. It's a really good reminder that you can take time off and still get to where these women are today, right? Like, it's okay. It, it may feel in the moment like how, you know, what's going to happen, right? How is my career going to be stunted if I take this break? And actually, look, we're, you, you may, you're just fine. <laughs> Lisa, uh, wait, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Or you can be laid off and recover. Yeah. I just want to, I spent 10 years of my career working at tiny, tiny startups. And basically I would work for nine months and then I'd be laid off for six months. And that's super scary. So scary the first time it happened, but obviously you can recover from it. And so I just ended up starting to budget as if I was only going to have a job for three quarters of every year. So I just, uh, yes, there's choices. And then there's, when it happens to you, it's still okay, even though it feels terrible. Yeah. The first time. After that, you learn. <laughs> <laughs> After that, you you enjoy. <laughs> oh, my God. I figured out Museum Tuesdays. It took, me, it took me a little while to get, it took me three or four months before I was like, but yeah. I want to, Lisa, I want to ask you a question, and then I'm going to open it up to the audience. So I know that, Everyone, and I think particularly women, have a hard time taking a moment and then celebrating the win. There are so many wins. But when do we just stop and say, dang, good job. I did it, right? So how do you celebrate? First of all, do you celebrate your wins? How do you celebrate your wins? Any advice to the audience or the panelists, perhaps, on how we can all celebrate our wins? Right. I, we talked about this earlier. I was like, spoiler alert, I don't. I'm terrible at it. But all of you should. And I celebrate other people's wins. So does that count? Uh, and, and I will say like, I don't for myself, but I'm telling you that's the wrong choice. I know it's the wrong choice. I see it in myself. It's something that I'm working on because it really is about, you shouldn't be relying on other people to lift you up, but the stuff that you can do for yourself, right? It's so easy for us to be like, oh, oh but then I just need to do this next thing or I need to 
or I need to learn more or study more or do like, it is so easy to be like, but I could be better, right? As opposed to like, but look what I did. I mean, I will say, yeah, it becomes very, uh, blase is the wrong word, but like, it's kind of cool that I grew up, you know, like a child of immigrants, poor in New York, and I ended up working at the White House. So, so I mean, and then what I got to do there and all that stuff, but it is, it is like, I, I've never really celebrated that as a win. I will say that was the first time that I really would talk to my community and my friends about what I was doing. Cause typically I'm like, ah, oh, you don't want to hear about it. It's tech. But I would, so I would just say, yes, to celebrate yourselves, but then also celebrate the other people in your lives. I want to celebrate you, Lisa. I mean, this is England for friends like Yes, go get you some friends like this. So to me, celebration doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be trip to Europe for three weeks alone would be really nice. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I actually celebrate when I can. When I make it to my pure bar class, the class celebrates for me because I was able to get out of work and actually do the class, which is for me, right? It's a 45 minutes of workout just for me. And I think same thing with, like, you know, my daughter said, mom, like after she went to college, she met other siblings of children with autism. And she said, you know, when she had their stories, I know you really made efforts to come to every event in my life when I was in school. And she said, for me, that was you celebrating me and thank you. And I'm like, whoa, like you're becoming an adult. Thank you. <laughs> so I think we should just celebrate every moment when you can find to, you know, celebrate that moment that you're doing something for yourself. And, you know, I, I do think that we have a, a tendency, particularly as women, to have more. I wish I could have done it this way. Why did that happen? You know, if I only this. And so we owe it to ourselves to to also and instead of say, good job. Good job, Arzu. Good job. It's a good reminder for me, too. OK, let me open it up to the audience. Any questions? Claire and I work in the same company many, many years ago, and she was already kicking ass. She was great and a very well-respected leader. And a lot of women leader I know were good as I see and then got promoted and they're good every single step of the way, right? But however, it's very common. All the studies show that women have imposter syndromes. Matter of fact, I heard from men too, by the way. I'm just wondering, do you feel that way? And when do you get out of it? Are any of you, you out of it? So I'm, I'm glad you said that, like, we don't have a patent on imposter syndrome. I recently interviewed uh, my principal engineer, who I worked with at Udemy, that we just hired. And he said, oh, God, I'm so scared of interviewing. And this is a man who has the 20 years of experience at Google, Twitter. He was an architect at Udemy. And, you know, he's saying I'm scared of interviews. Tech interviews are crap. So, you know, I think it makes everyone a little scared and I have imposter syndrome. And yes, I still have imposter syndrome, but I know how to talk myself out of it. Like, you know, you have to celebrate your accomplishments to get yourself out of that feeling like somehow I'm not good enough. You are all good enough, probably 100% more, 500% more than you think you are. And, you know, we're pretty lucky we're in the tech industry where our skills are valued. So 
self-talk, encourage yourself, and think of all the amazing things that you have done. I would add one other thing, uh, which is it is not about knowing all the things and being prepared and like having that master's, that PhD. It's about having the confidence in yourself that when confronted with a challenge with, or as we like to call it in management speak, an opportunity that you can figure it out, right? That's, I think, where the confidence comes from is that knowing that like, like I don't know, right? I didn't know anything about government or I don't know anything about, I didn't know anything about running a startup was not a thing I wanted to do. But at the end is it, whatever comes up knowing that I'm smart enough and that I have enough experience and that I trust myself that I will be able to like, I'll make a decision and it won't be terrible. Maybe not be everything, but it is, but then I'll respond and react to that. Cause that's the next thing. And that's what everybody does. Some people just, uh, what they say is that women are rewarded for competence and men are rewarded for confidence. And so that idea of bringing them that confidence, again, you don't got to, it's not about competence. It's about knowing that when it happens, you can figure it out. First, I just want to thank you. Uh, I am a newfound dad. I would say my daughter just turned 11 months old today. And I'm just like right now going through this phase of like balancing both my work and personal life. And I think that I have a lot to learn from this panel already. Um, the question I had was more around, you know, there are times where you leave an existing job, which probably had a higher title than your newer one, probably higher pay than your newer one. And, you know, what sort of like <laughs> decision... What sort of decision matrix have you taken to sort of like evaluate, I think this is the right risk to take at this point in time? I think if you were to look at my LinkedIn, um, when I transitioned to Waymo, I actually like took multiple levels down. But I, I do think that that wasn't the consideration. I think ultimately you want to go to a place where you're passionate about. Number two is like you feel you can learn. And then I, again, like, I think going back to my sharing of, I think the opportunities is out there. And then sometimes you don't know what you learn will create the future for you. So like taking that step of learning, learning journey, and then it's just sometimes what you learn in that particular job, it, it may not seem shiny, but in the end, that foundation carries with you forever for your future. So I, I think like sometimes people just think about title, the scope and the, you know, the money. But ultimately, our life is not just about that, right? How do you have a fulfilling career, fulfilling life? And then like, if you can find that and somehow if the title, the money, the, you know, the role isn't as big as you wish it to be, then maybe that's okay, right? Because you know that in this journey, you will learn and you will have fun and whatever you learn, you can carry on and build up uh, through to other means for career. You know, I'm not going to say that money is not important or title is not important. Right. But ultimately, you have to decide what makes you happy or what is, where is that environment that's going to allow me to grow. Right. So, I mean, in tech, we get paid very well. And I think as a result, I think we have the environment that we have in San Francisco with more homeless, rents are going up and home prices are going up and all that. So we should take this privilege and be really appreciative of what we have. But number one, I think you want to go to a safe work environment where you can have that growth, right? So, you know, you have to make choices. If at this point in your life, it's, it's better for you to create some savings and have a safe job, then stay for a couple more years. Or, you know, you can make those decisions on what's, what's important 
what's going to help me actually continue to grow and, you know, be able to be in a position to take that risk? Yeah, I would just add to that. I think I think you hit on some of the things. So first of all, I just just to be clear, like, again, I've always supported my family. I continue to support my family. Money is very important to me in terms of in terms of what I need to bring in. But just to be clear, I took a 70 percent pay cut when I went into federal government. So like, so this is, I think, uh, what you're saying is that you can make different choices at different stages in your career, right? Every time it's reevaluating your priorities. Same thing about growth, about learning a safe place where you're going to be celebrated, where people are the, when you go to an organization where you feel like they appreciate you, they value, they recognize you, they see you can be a really big thing. The other thing that I do though for jobs, yes, it's the learning. It's the, oh, is it interesting? Am I going to, am I going to have fun? Am I going to like it? But also I think about the next, next job. So what am I going to get out of this job that is going to set me up for my next job? What are the three bullets I'm going to have on my resume at the end of this job that's going to set me up? If I want to be here, what I like, and again, you know, that's a little bit theoretical because the world could change, your priorities could change, your interests could change. But that idea of like, this is now going to get me on, not just this is going to be cool, but also after that, I'm going to be able to do even more cool stuff. One more question. And then I'm going to ask each of you one more question. Lisa, you mentioned earlier, like your boss makes a big difference. So question for any of you, what happened uh, in your past when you ran into a bad boss? Oh, gosh. You know, I have to say that I was a bad boss once and I have to come clean on that, right? My first job as a manager, and thank you, Cynthia, for like actually giving me credit, but I was a terrible manager at Ingress, I think. The reason being, like, I didn't empower people enough. I didn't delegate enough. I didn't grow their career enough. You know, back then I didn't get, I mean, okay, I'm not blaming anybody, but I don't think I got the mentoring that I needed. Somebody who's willing to give me candid feedback. So I kind of learned by making mistakes, right? But, you know, I mean, most people leave their job because they don't like their boss. That's like the number one reason why people want to change their job. And we don't want to be that boss, right? I don't want to be that boss, right? And as, as a leaders, I think we want to figure out and we want to really have that empathy for each person because there's a one recipe for what makes each person happy. You know, I think and understanding that they have a different criteria, they have different lived experiences. Like how can I add to their career and really caring right? Like genuinely caring for that person makes you a really good boss, right? It's not like whether you're, you know, you could be more strategic and I get the feedback and I'm like, okay. And, you know, I could be, and that's great. And I, I will work on that. But when I say like, you know, there were times when I felt not included. To me, that's really heart-wrenching feedback that I really want to do something about. Because as, a, as leaders, we have a responsibility to create that environment that's inclusive and belonging where people can do their best work. And when you feel marginalized, you can't do your best work. Save yourself. That's all I say. If you got a bad boss, look out for you. Save yourself. Okay. We're at time, but I don't want to end on that note, if that's okay. So let's do a lightning round. Okay. Very quick. 20 seconds each. We are closing this out. Obviously, it's tough, right? And I think it's especially the research continues to show 
that it's there are broken rungs on the ladder as we are trying to reach that glass ceiling. So what advice do you give to everybody in the audience, particularly women? Sometimes great opportunity are not conventional. And so having that eye to spot that opportunity, and sometimes that's just for you, that, that special opportunity is for you. So it's not conventional for general public. Spot the opportunity and have the courage to take it. Don't let anyone take you down. Like yourself, credit, have the resilience, and go after what you're looking for. And don't let anybody tell you that you're not good enough. We are going to run into those issues throughout our career, but those are detractors in your life. Build your community, surround yourself with allies, and don't let those people, don't take them seriously. Self-talk and say, I don't need you. Yeah, mine is actually the inverse, uh, which is save yourself in a gentler way, which is is this because oftentimes it can come from external, but also sometimes it comes from internal. So the thing that I have heard from every black person, Latino person and woman uh, who studied computer science has been like, hmm. But I don't know if this is right for me. It's, I, don't, I don't know if it's, um, I feel othered. The message that I would like to convey is your otherness is what makes you unique and special. And actually it brings a different perspective and it's going to make for a better product. It's going to make you for a better engineer. And you don't actually have to be cookie cutter to, do, to succeed. In fact, your superpower is in your uniqueness. Oh, I love that. So remember, I, if you don't know what your superpower is, Think about it and we'll end with that note in, in bringing that superpower to life wherever it is that you go, both at work and outside of work. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, audience. This has been super fun. Hope you enjoy the rest of the day. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Thank you.